0: Welcome back to the uh, Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Troy Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. Today is Father's Day, and uh, we only have one service today. It's a unity service because afterwards we're going to kick off our summer by having a uh, barbecue competition, uh, something that guys would, fathers would love to to participate in. So uh, today was, it's kind of a special day. And so hopefully uh, you have been able to enjoy the Father's Day holiday as well. And uh, thanks for tuning in. I want to start by actually reading the psalm that we're going to be in today. We've been going through uh, many of the psalms and uh, focusing in on some great refreshing things in our soul. Today's a a different type of psalm, different type of day. I'm, I'm titling this sermon, The Sinner's Guide to Repentance. Psalm 51, if you want to grab your Bible and go there, Psalm 51, it says, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, your chesed. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment.' You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. All right, as we begin, I have a philosophical question. As you look at what God desires of mankind, is it perfection that he... Is that, is that the ultimate thing that God wants? Perfection. You know, you think about it, God gave us the law, and so it would seem obvious that he wanted us to follow the law. Uh, he wanted us to, to walk in obedience, and for some people, walking in obedience uh, means that God wants perfection. Uh, here's an issue, though, that arises, if that's the way that you see things. If you're acquainted with the history of God's people as we read it in the Old Testament, you'll see two distinct patterns emerge. First of all, you'll see a pattern of imperfection of God's people. There's a pattern of God's people sinning as if in their sinful nature, they're unable to stay loyal. In their fallen nature, they can't overcome the temptation to um, trust in their own strength and wisdom or to want to be like the the pagan nations around them and, and chase after foreign gods. And when that happens, God brings discipline. Uh, he is angered. Uh, he allows his people to suffer the consequences of their sin. And so it seems in one way, God does demand perfection or else there's going to be some some problems. But secondly, there's a, a second pattern that emerges even amidst the unfaithfulness of God's people. See, there is a pattern of God, uh, of a God who does confront his people, does correct them in their sin, but to what end? Is it just because he's angry, mad at them, uh, or could there be a, a purpose, another purpose that we see here as he disciplines and punishes his people? You see, I see a second pattern. I don't just see the imperfection of people. I see the grace of God as well. And that's the second pattern. Um We have a God, even an Old Testament God, a God who gets kind of a bad reputation of just being this angry, capricious God that wipes out uh, tons of people. Uh, There is this idea that God is a God of grace and mercy, who even though he corrects his people, he calls them back into a right relationship. And so you might say that ultimately, though, perfection is something that God wants us to strive after there might actually be something higher than a standard of perfection. And it's a heart issue because we do mess up because we don't always choose perfection. And so in the face of God's correction, how are we going to respond? What is our heart going to lead us to do? I believe even higher, me personally, I believe that even higher than perfection is this idea of repentance. It seems like God wants to develop in us this idea of repentance because he'll use that then to help us strive for perfection. So I I guess you can say perfection is something that God desires, but until we get there, on our way there, God wants to teach our hearts the path towards perfection, which makes a heart of repentance so crucial for our spiritual lives. Now, some might see in God's discipline the character of an angry, vengeful God, like I said, and yet the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 10, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? The author of Hebrews continues, If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. It's interesting that we would read that on Father's Day because fathers do discipline their kids and they don't discipline them because they don't want their kid to be their kid anymore. They discipline them because they love their child. So in the same way, God, as our perfect heavenly father, disciplines us because he loves us. And so the question then is, well, okay, so discipline comes into our life when we do not achieve perfection. So how are we going to respond? Because our response will either help us or hinder us from becoming more like how God wants us to be, how God designed us to be. Now, the context of the psalm is, is found in quite the wordy title. I, I didn't read that title, but basically... <clears throat> The title of this song is, To the Choir Master, A Psalm of David When Nathan the Prophet Went to Him After He Had Gone into Bathsheba. I think that's probably the longest title of a song that I've ever heard. A Psalm of David When Nathan the Prophet Went to Him After He Had Gone into Bathsheba. Pretty specific, Okay, but therein we see the context of this psalm. The context is one of the greatest examples of somebody following after his own desires. And then God's confronting him and calling him into repentance in a sort of a wake up call. This is an, an event in David's life, King David's life, where he broke the last five of the Ten Commandments in a series of sinful choices. There's covetousness, there's adultery, there's murder, there's theft, there's lying, all rolled up into one extensive soap opera type event. And as David is confronted by one of God's spokespeople, one of his prophets, we see in his response what I like to call the sinner's guide to repentance. Now, by the way, when looking at the psalm, the great reformer, Martin Luther, said that within Protestant churches, there is no other psalm which is more often prayed by believers than this one. And that makes sense because we who are saved, will we still struggle with our sinful nature. We've been given the great gift of grace as Jesus' sacrificial death opened the way for us to receive God's mercy and forgiveness and eventual purification from our sins. And here in Psalm 51, we're taught to look to a Savior who will embody God's mercy and steadfast love in the midst of our sin. We're going to spend the rest of the passage this morning, look at three three parts of true repentance that we can see here in Psalm 51. The first thing I want you to see about true repentance is its transparency. Many people see David as a great king, but to get our heads around Psalm 51, we must really identify him as a great sinner as well. His story is found in Second Samuel chapter 11, and essentially, in a nutshell, in, in the time when king, kings were supposed to go out to battle, King David decides to stay home at his palace. We're told that as he was enjoying his evening walk on the palace rooftops, he spied a woman on her rooftop, bathing, naked, and he lusted after her. Now, knowing that it's good to be king, David has Bathsheba brought to him and he commits adultery. She ends up pregnant. Now, this embarrassing situation that King David uh, is in, he tries to cover it up. And being somewhat unsuccessful of trying to lie his way out of this, uh, David has her husband who is serving him in the army. He has her husband killed in battle. It's a story of how sin escalates. Again, five commandments are broken in this series of unfortunate choices. He covets, he's lusting, he's, he's coveting uh, which led to adultery, which leads to lying, which leads to stealing another man's wife by way of murder. Uh, by the way, on a side note, that's how sin works. When we don't deal with the sin as it begins in our life, it's, it's like the weeds in my yard. Sin loves company. And what we see at play here is what the New Testament author James tells us in James chapter 1, He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So you can't say the devil made me do it. We're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desire. And then he says, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see a progression there from the the conception to the birth to the full grown, their sin right there. David's lust birthed sin. And in a very real sense for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, sin led to death. Now, how did this godly king come to such a horrible series of unfortunate events? Another horrible thing about sin is that it often numbs our conscience. It makes us deaf to God's spirit leading us. And this is, I think, is where King David is at, unfortunately. Unfortunately, now, God could easily have just said, David, that's it. I'm going to overthrow you. I'm going to take you out like, like God did uh, King Saul before King David. He could have said, I, I'm taking my spirit away from you, David. But before he does anything like that, God decides to test David's heart with this wake up call from the prophet Nathan. And here's where we see yet another identity of David. He's a great king. Yes. He's a great sinner. Yes. But uh, you know what? He's a great repenter as well. See, D- Nathan comes to remind David that God knows what he has done. And, and, he, and he opens up David's eyes to that fact that God knows. And so David sees his sin for what it is. It's, it's not just a sin against Bathsheba. It's not just a sin against Uriah. It's not just a sin against God's people. It's a sin against God. It demonstrates something that God seems to really want to see in his people. A transparency, a transparency to to admit what's wrong in our lives. This is is where confession, which means to say the same thing as, confession, saying the same thing that God says about our sin, this is where that comes into play in the life of, of King David here. God, through Nathan, confronts David so that David can confess. That's how God operates still today. He confronts us through his word, through our interaction with other people, through a particular sermon, and he convicts us, he confronts us so that we can confess. Psalm 51 is David's response to the confrontation of his sin and the condition of his self-serving heart that led to that sin. David knows what he deserves and he confesses that it would be right of God. It would be just of God to punish him. And yet David is bold enough to ask for mercy. According to your abundant mercy, it says, blot out my transgressions. And wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Once David's eyes are open to his identity as a great sinner, then transparency allows him to then step into this new identity as a great repenter. As we read the psalm, I I hope you see that this is this is not a response like what you and I at times, certain certainly me as a young person would have would have had when we got into trouble. I remember clearly many times when after I got into trouble and I you know I said I'm sorry. Mom would say, "Are you really sorry for what you did, or are you sorry that you got caught?" Now I know what she meant by that because I, I know that there's times where I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. And, and I'm, I'm not really sorry. I, I kind of liked what I did, but I have to say that in order to get on with life and, uh, you know, put the consequences behind me. But I, I also know that you can be both. You can be sorry that you got caught, but then also sorry for doing what you did. There are times when getting caught leads you to be sorry. So you are sorry you got caught. But once you're there, there are times where your heart becomes aware of the reality that you're living in now because of sin, and you do come to, to be truly sorry for your actions. Now, we don't know if David was sorry before Nathan confronted him, but we do see that he expresses a deep regret for both his actions and the place that he is living now because of those actions. Notice there, there's no excuses in this psalm. David doesn't say, yeah, that was bad, but man, I was under a lot of stress. I kind of needed an outlet. He doesn't say, yeah, that was bad, but man, she, you know, she was naked and I could see her, but, but there are no excuses and and there's no justification either. Notice he doesn't say, okay, well, well, that's a one. Okay. Yeah. It it was a big deal, but you know, for the most part, I've, I've been loyal. I've obeyed you for the most part. So this really isn't the kind of person I normally am. So David doesn't downplay the sin. But just as importantly, he doesn't despair in that sin either. In other words, we don't see him just saying, well, that's it. Forget it. I'm just, I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible person. Just kill me now. Just take me out now because I stink. See, there's a balance in David's response, isn't there? There's an honesty, a transparency that he demonstrates, and an honest understanding of his sin, but also an honest understanding of God's character. And this is the truth that David declares that God's desire for him is truth in his inward being, as it says there in verse 6. Now, this brings me to the second thing that I want you to see about true repentance from Psalm 51. And that it's not just it's transparency, but it's turning from the deeds of the sinful nature. David says in the core of the psalm, purge it from me, wash me, create in me something new. So yes, there's an honesty that confesses the old, but you can't help but feel the passion in these words, the passion for God to do what only God can do. And that is please make me better please make me better i want to be better i need you to help me in in uh, john's first epistle first john chapter 1 there's an interesting opportunity that we read of in regard to sin because john brings up the idea of being forgiven of our sins in first john chapter 1 the first part of verse 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins Yay, we love that. We love forgiveness. But he says it's faithful and just that he would forgive us our sins because it's it's right and just of God to forgive our sins because the payment had been made. Jesus made that payment on the cross. Jesus' death bought us forgiveness. And so it is right and just of God to bring forgiveness to us and not to make us pay a second time because Jesus already paid. But... John continues in that same verse, not only will he forgive us our sins, but he will purify us, purify us, a different word altogether than forgive. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. What what this means is that forgiveness is the point in time that we are saved from the penalty of our sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. God wants to save us from the penalty of sin, but he also wants to save us from the power of sin. So, he not only offers forgiveness through Jesus, but he offers purification through the work of the Holy Spirit, his power at work in us. Now, David has been called a man after God's own heart despite his sin. Here in Psalm 51, I think we see why. See, David demonstrates this understanding that God wants to bring about a new order to our lives. God wants to recreate us into the image of his son. God wants to make all things new in us. He doesn't want to just forgive us. He wants to make us new. And in this psalm, David is expressing the exact same desire. He wants to not just be forgiven, but he wants to be changed. He wants to be washed clean so that he never commits this sin ever again. He says, purge this thing from me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. In other words, he says, can we, can we just do a reset to my original factory default, please? See, that's the heart of repentance. The heart of repentance doesn't just want to be forgiven. The heart of repentance leads us into a kind of a love for the one who forgives us so much. So much so, such such deep love that we don't ever want to go against his word ever again. This is why the Holy Spirit is such an important asset for you and I as believers, because it's his spirit that cuts away the sinful habits of our old life, our old self, begins to grow in us the fruit that will reflect the character of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we would wallow in our old ways. Jesus told us that it is he who is the vine, the the plant that brings up the nutrients from the soil to produce fruit. The power of the produce is in the vine, but but the fruit that sprouts comes from the branches. And so Jesus said that uh, if you're going to follow him, you need to cling to him. He will give us the power to produce the fruit that will be seen by mankind. And he said... In order for this all to work as God designed it, you got to stay connected. Because apart from God's Spirit, we are told in Scripture that you and I can do nothing. This is why King David cries out to God, help me, help me. Because without your help, I'd just be soon cast away. So please, let me keep your Holy Spirit. Ah, David saw the Holy Spirit leaving King Saul. He didn't want that to happen to him. So he's begging God, please let me keep your spirit at work in my life so that I may turn from my sin and follow you closer. And when he's there, then lastly, in Psalm 51, we see in true repentance, a testimony. Yes, we see transparency. We see a turning from, and now we see a testimony. You see, once we live there, once we repent, once we experience God's forgiveness, his mercy, then that should lead us into a new and exciting purpose for our lives. See, in verse 13, there's a progression that David mentions. He says, once I've been made right with God, then I'm going to teach other transgressors the ways of the Lord. I want to be involved in the process of helping other sinners, sinners who were in the same boat that I was. I want to help them turn back to God You know, this reminds me of what the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself, okay? But then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? Well, he designed it so that once we are saved, we now let other people know through our words and through our actions how God is in the business of bringing people back to himself through Jesus. In other words, we have a testimony. We have a testimony. This is one of the most amazing aspects of the gospel, the creation and the expression of the joy of knowing we're forgiven, so much so that we, it just spills over and people can see that. And and not only can they see it, but there is this desire inside of us to share it with others, to let it spill over so that they can also experience the depth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, there seems to be an aspect of God's design for our lives that as we grow in this grace of repentance, we then begin to share the opportunity to repent with other people. This is why, by the way, I've said this before, but I truly believe that this is why God entrusted the gospel message to knuckleheads like you and me. And not just give it to angels to to proclaim, because angels are not like human beings Human beings are the only creation of God who knows what it's like to have turned away from God but still be accepted back into his family, back into his presence, back into his purposes. We might have thought that we had royally messed up. King David sure had. I guess it doesn't take, though, a king in order to royally mess things up. Even ordinary people can make an extraordinary mess of things. And yet, through Jesus, because we find mercy and forgiveness of God, we now have a message, an amazing message, a message that we can share with other people who were in the same boat. And that again, takes humility, not condemnation of other people, not condescension, condescension, but rather keeping with an attitude that yes, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And there, (laughs) but for the grace of God, go I, you know, David declares that in keeping with the spirit of repentance, he can now be confident as he teaches other people about the grace of God. He literally extends the grace of God to other people who are also in need of forgiveness, because as scripture says, it's the kindness of God that will lead people to repentance. And you and I have a story of experiencing that kindness, Why shouldn't we share that message with other people? Can you see how if we stay in the mode of repentance, that God will use our testimony to encourage others as we uh, reach out to them and, and invite them to reach out to find God's grace and mercy in their life. This is one of those amazing byproducts of our being made right with God. Because now we have a story and our story that is ongoing, by the way, because we're not perfect. We always have to go back to God and and keep a short account, and, and be reminded of the amazing grace that He has for us. That now we have a story, a testimony, to encourage other people. This is one of the yeah. So our story is used as a beacon for other people to see their way through the darkness into His marvelous light, as. Peter, the apostle, wrote in his first letter. And so we see the power of repentance in the transparency that we must be willing to live in, the turning from our old ways that demonstrates real integrity and a heart to follow after God. And then we see the testimony that we have when God does the work of forgiveness and transformation in our lives. This is why we're called to pray as David did, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. You know, a little boy was visiting his grandparents. He was given his first slingshot. His grandfather made it for him. Now, now, as the grandfather gave the, the boy the slingshot, there were very clear instructions that uh, the slingshot was not meant to shoot at living things. He can hit cans, he can hit targets and things like that, but not living things. Well, as the little boy walked across the, the yard... Later on that day, he saw his grandma's pet duck. Well, it was too much of a temptation, so he took aim and let fly. And boy, it was a lucky shot because the stone hit the, the, the duck right in the head and the duck fell over dead. Now, the boy then panicked. Um, he knew that he had done something wrong, so he hid the duck uh, under one of the outbuildings. And And as he hid the duck after he was done, he looked up and he saw his sister. She had been watching the whole thing. She said nothing, smiled, but said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said to the boy's sister, Betty, let's watch the dishes. But Betty said, uh, Billy told me he wanted to help you in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Billy? And then she whispered, remember the duck? Billy reluctantly agreed and said, yes, I'll, I'll do the dishes. Later, Grandpa said, hey, kids, you want to go fishing? Grandma says, oh, I'm sorry. I need Betty to help help me make supper. Betty said, no, I think Billy wants to help you make supper, Grandma. And again, she whispered threateningly, remember the duck. And so Billy stayed to help with supper while Betty went fishing with Grandpa. After several days of Billy basically becoming Betty's slave, he was doing both his chores and his sister's. Finally, he couldn't stand it. And he went to grandma and confessed that he had killed her duck. Grandma says, I know, Billy, I know that you did. I watched it. I saw what you had done. I was standing at the window, saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you were going to let Betty make a slave of you. Billy needed to come to freedom by confession. Psalm 51 is really a psalm of freedom because it speaks of God's desire for us to confess what we have done, what he already knows that we've done, but he wants us now to move out from under the thumb of slavery, of guilt and shame that the enemy uses to pull us away from him. Yes, he calls us to follow the example of King David to put into practice the principles found in the sinner's guide to repentance. Transparency, turning from sin, and a testimony to share with others. By doing so, I believe this is the path to the perfection that God has eventually designed us to, to experience. He does give a, a standard for us to live by, but even higher than the standard of perfection, I believe, is the heart that is pliable clay in the hands of the perfect potter. So one day we can be made perfect. All right, well, that's the, uh, that's the message for us today. Happy Father's Day. And uh, thank you uh, to Lisa Welly for putting the podcast up on the platforms and doing all of the pr- production of it. Thank you, Steve Pittman, for being our tech guru here at the uh, church. And thank you for tuning in. We will check you out next week with one more song.